Good morning. I've got to take my shoes off. Isn't this a great place? And because it's so big, we don't have to be in rows because we've got a microphone so we can be in one circle so we can see each other, which is by far the most important thing, actually, which I always hate about rows. So that's cool. And it's a unity church, which is pretty cool as well. Hi, come on in. If we do need spare chairs, there's one over here that can come in and one at the back there that can come in. And people can always just sit there and join us. So that... Hi. So, welcome to Tim Freak's Deep Awake Day. I am, if you haven't noticed, Tim Freak. But it turns out I'm also you. And that's one of the things I want to explore with you on this day. How we can be so exquisitely individual and yet at the same time profoundly all one. Excuse me. That's better. Deep awake. Let's start there. What I mean by deep awake, it's another word for what traditionally has been called spiritual awakening. In fact, different traditions in humanity's history have had different names for a shift that happens, I think, for most of history to very few people. I think right now it's available to anyone. It's available to us. For me, it's not an absolute shift. It's not like a switch. You either are or you aren't. It's something we grow into, fall away from, grow deeper into. And the way you experience it may not be the same as the way I experience it because you're an individual. You'll have your own unique deep awake experience, but I suspect there will be common threads because having seen literally hundreds and hundreds of people touch this deep awake now, that's what I see. So I'll describe what it's like for me and you can see whether it resonates for something you've experienced in your past, maybe experiencing right now, or something which I hope we can dive into together this, this day and experience it together. It's something which I experienced for the first time when I was very young. It just happened. And that was a blessing because it happened when I was just sitting on a hill in the middle of the countryside. And so I've never associated it intrinsically with any tradition or with a practice. It's just natural. And that's my conviction. There is a natural state which is open to us, in which we go from being just awake to being deep awake. So we're moving from something which is quite narrow to, oh, and I'm sure you will have experienced that, otherwise you wouldn't be here. At some point, something's happened, which means you're here and other people aren't. 
And as you go deeply into this deeper wake, there's this incredible uh, oneness which opens up. Not instead of the individuality, but as well, or through it, actually, through the individuality. So that there's this communion with all of life, in fact, with the whole universe. My feeling then is, I'm Tim, I'm more Tim, not less Tim. Tim hasn't gone anywhere. Tim is just nicer to be around. <laughs> Tim is more himself because he's awake to his own depths and his own depths is everything. Which is kind of obvious, really. What else could I be? What else could any of us be but the universe? We are the universe arriving as people. What else could we possibly be? You know, one of the great things that science has shown is that the very fabric of our bodies is made of stardust. Everything is. Everything is one thing. And everything is many things. So the awakened state is when you're just living in the everything is many things. And the deep awake state opens up when you're also in and everything is one thing. And what comes from that profound oneness is what I call big love. This enormous love, which just seems to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and I just can't get enough of it. Because the oneness feels like love. What happens in Tim, when I recognize that there's this deeper thing in which I'm one with everything, can be described as love. Or if, you, if love is too personal, if that word doesn't work, compassion or agape. The words really don't matter. But there's this unconditional, impersonal, actually. It embraces the personal, but it's also just universal. This enormous connectivity. And it's not just flink and, it's not just kind of pink and fluffy love. Love often sounds like, you know, love, little hearts. And, and I, I really like all that pink, fluffy love, actually. I'm up for as much pink, fluffy love as I can get my hands on. But this love isn't just pink and fluffy is really strong and deep. In fact, in my experience, it's the only thing which can hold the immense, mind-blowing polarities of life. That life can be as beautiful as it is and as ugly. That it can involve such joy and such horror. The only thing which I find which can hold the reality of that polarity is this big love, which opens up when you become aware of the depths of your being. And with that comes something which I just call now a deep knowing. Uh, the ancients in the West called it a gnosis. It's a knowing which is so deep it's before words. Sometimes, I, if I'm honest with you, I mean, I'm going to say a whole load of ideas here today, but really the gnosis, the deep knowing, is actually the only thing I know. And it is so deep, I actually, I, I will rationally justify it because I'm a philosopher, but it actually is, it's the other way around. It comes first. It's the thing I'm sure of. Why am I sure of it? I can't even tell you. You'd have to experience it for yourself. If you have, you'll know that it has such a reality to it. It is so clear that it's the foundation from which everything for me arises. And that gnosis, which is oneness and love, comes with this faith. But not faith in an idea or a creed 
but faith in the fundamental goodness of what existence is. Not that it's just good, it's not. There's plenty of evidence of where it's not good. But even under that polarity, and we'll try and explore this later when we do some philosophy, there is something fundamentally good here. Something underneath all of the suffering, despite all the suffering, and the suffering is massive and real and so horrible I find it difficult to really even look at it. And yet, there is something fundamentally good which can guide us through. So that's how I experienced the deep wake state. And oh, I could say, you know, the other thing is, I'll mention this as well, just because it often gets missed out, is that for me, this deep awake doesn't take me away from this, doesn't take me away from the body. And there's a lot in spirituality which makes it sound like it will, like you're going to get, it's going to, you lose the separateness and you'll be off in this, and you're enlightened and then this can drop away as some useless thing. Actually, what happens for me is the opposite, personally. I feel like I'm finally aware I have a body and how cool that is. So there's a sensual aliveness, actually, that comes with a deep awake. When I'm just in the normal waking state, I don't really notice my sensations. Not really. They're functional. They stop me bumping into things. Or... But when I, when, I, when I wake up to the depths, they're much more than functional. They're actually a delight to see colour, to feel the carpet, to breathe, to move, to feel the air on my skin. So the waking up isn't away from this, it's actually into this. So, I'm going to talk about uh, evolution a little bit, a bit later on. Because I feel that this deep awake state is the next jump in an evolutionary process that's been going on for 13.8 billion years. And it's been one hell of a journey, and I think it's now leading us into this deeper state. I don't personally think it's going to magically happen. I wasn't one of those people who thought that when, you know, 2012, we were going to wake up and it was all going to be okay. It seemed pretty obvious to me it wasn't. It was going to be the same. And pretty much it seemed to me it was. I think it's much more about us than that. It's not going to happen because of the age of Aquarius. It's, not, it's going to happen when human beings make it happen. So... A large part of why I've come here today, why we've tried to keep the price low, why we've tried to, why we've got all these people helping, is because I want to see this go out and play a role in bringing about the next evolutionary leap. In the smallest ways, but that's how it will happen. Through each individual, through each one of us. And then, as you know from like the Berlin Wall coming down, if enough individuals do a little thing, suddenly some massive change happens and everyone goes, wow, didn't see that coming. So it seems to me we need a new form of spirituality. And that's what I've invited you here to be part of. We need a new form of spirituality which can play a role in equipping us to make that evolutionary jump, individually and collectively at the same time, not one or the other. 
And that spirituality needs to attract to it the people I hope and believe have come today, which is, uh, to steal a metaphor from the world of tech, the early adopters of this deep awake state. Those who've been drawn to it, those who go, yes, I recognize that. I want to experience it. I have experienced it. I want to go deeper into it. If we can gather together the early adopters for this next stage of evolution, that's what will bring it in. Same as everything. And then from the early adopters, then it moves forward. So we need a new form of spirituality, in my view. Now, I'm aware that people come from different traditions. I've written 35 books about nearly all of the traditions in the world. I have immense respect for them, and I think they're out of date. I don't think that should surprise us. Most of them were written at a time when people thought the Earth was flat, was the center of the universe. We've, learned, we've moved an immense distance, and spirituality has a hugely important role to play in bringing about the future and dealing with the immense crises we're facing and actually giving hope and direction to the changes that need to happen in individuals and in society. But if it's living in the past, if it constantly thinks we have to go back to something, it can't do that. And for reasons we might have time to explore, I've come to the conclusion, having studied and lived within a lot of these traditions, that they are no longer up to the job, but we need to do what they did. All, every single tradition was a, a new thing. It was a response by curious, open-hearted individuals who, who had the deep weight experience to go, how can we address our particular time? So the real way to honor the spiritual past is not just to repeat it, but to do what they did. And what they did was they experienced the awakening for themselves and then they, they communicated about it and shared it in a way for their time, with their knowledge, and that moved everything on. Because everything is evolving, literally everything, in my view. So we need a spirituality which is both centered in the individual, but also addresses the collective. We need a spirituality which is rational which can be scrutinized with the mind, which isn't frightened of the mind, which doesn't try and deny the mind, put down the mind. I can, you can only hear me because of this microphone, which is a product of the intellect. You've only got here because of the transport systems, the internet. The mind is, a, it's, is one of the greatest achievements of the evolutionary process, and we should be in awe of it. It has another side, because it's not good or bad. It can be used for either. But we should, we, should, we should develop a spirituality, I feel, which can be both heart-centered, about love, but also about the clarity of the mind. And too much spirituality, I live in Glastonbury. If you've been there, you know what I mean. I love the place, but it's a little bit woo as well. We need to root that down now. So what I want to present to you, I'm going to give you a taste of this, is something which is, I think is also, can be, can, we can stand up, proudly and go, no, this makes sense. And part of what making sense means is it can become a partner, not a opposite, uh, an op opponent to science. All of this is a product of science. It's a beautiful, amazing achievement. But spirituality is now cut adrift because it's in the past and because science has no room for it. The new spirituality needs to be able to stand side by side with it and offer what science is lacking so that we have a complete 
understanding of the human predicament, which science alone just cannot provide. So I'm hoping that what I am in the process of creating and what we can uh, explore together is this. It also needs to be practical. It also needs to be actually able to bring people into the deep awake state because the traditions, partly because they're very, very old, the message is, hey, if you give up everything and live in a cave and meditate for long enough, maybe after five or six or a hundred lifetimes, you may experience this. That's no good to us. We need to, to have uh, techniques, practices, which are really simple, really clean, and which can get us there now. And because of the evolutionary process, it is much easier for us than it was for our ancestors. They have cleared the way for us and enabled us to do it much quicker. Like with just about everything else, we can communicate much quicker. I just came from the other side of the country. I did it in a few hours. That would take a few days. It's the same. It's just the same process. So what we're going to do today <coughs> is I'm going to split the day. It's going to, we'll move between, but there'll be literally half and half of some ideas, some philosophy, Philosophy means love of wisdom, some things which hopefully are wise, <laughs> I'll do my best, and some practices. This first session I'm going to talk, then we're going to have a break, and the last session will be completely experiential. Now, it's my nature to try and want to, to go as deep as we possibly can straight away. I know it makes more sense, you know, it's, it can only be a taste today, we've only got a day, I, we, we want much more. But my intention is to do something which I've only tried a few times, it's ambitious, is to take us very, very deep today. So I'm hoping that we can together experience in our own unique ways this deep awake state at some point during the day, certainly by the end. That's my aspiration. And I'm going to try and simplify the ideas so that there is at least a framework that you can understand, which can be clear. And then if you want to go deeper into the experience, come and join us for a retreat. If you want to go deeper into the ideas, the same, and or do the philosophy course that I've got online, or join us for the online seminar we do, and all of that stuff. Read the book. That's my aspiration. So I'm going to talk about the underlying philosophy side now, because we're all hopefully it's early morning and we're nice and bright, so we're going to take advantage of that uh, freshness. And then we'll do, we're going, just so you know, you like to be orientated, I expect, we're going to have two sessions this morning with a break, then we'll have a lunch hour, long enough for you to go out and do some stuff, or hang out here and talk with me, or whatever you want to do. Uh, and then two sessions in the afternoon. And the last session will be the big experiential session. But we'll do experiential stuff before that too. Also, so you know, I'm sure you've picked up on this already. Uh, I will be here the whole time. Uh, if you, uh, you know, I'm not going to disappear off into my, with my entourage or all of that crap. I'm here. So uh, grab me. If you want to chat about something or you just want to say hello, please do. And, you know, we can, we can chat about stuff throughout the day. 
I, I've come, you know, we drove, God, actually Debbie, God bless her, drove us here. It was a long drive, we were up at five, because I want to give as much as I possibly can, which is a value to you. That's my aspiration, so make the use of that. Okay. Human beings understand things through stories, really. And we've had all sorts of stories. You know, God created the world and we fell in the Garden of Eden as a story. We now have a story from science. And it's actually a very powerful and a good story. I just think it needs adapting. I think the new spirituality needs to adopt but expand the story of science. Because it's very powerful, it explains a great deal, and if you understand it right, it helps us see who we are. It helps us see who we are and where we stand in the cosmos. And it can help us see the purpose of life. So the scientific story, which is utterly, I mean, when I, when I share these ideas, my, I invite you not just to hear an idea, not just to go, oh yes, or yes, I saw a documentary on that, or, but actually to feel the idea, to actually get a sense of what that means because when I say, look, this story starts 13.8 billion years ago, when the universe, this universe, anyway, came into existence, that is an enormous thought. 13.8 billion years ago, the universe came into existence and we went from hydrogen and helium to this. Someone I really admire, Brian Swim, who's a wonderful evolutionary scientist, said something like, yes, what we've learned is, if you take hydrogen and you wait long enough, it learns to sing opera. I just love that. It's just, that's, I mean, just can you get that? Where did hydrogen turn, what did it turn into? This. It turned into everything. That's what we are. We are where that process has led. So let's really get that. Not as a discovery channel, oh, that's scientists weirdly, but actually, gee, this, is, this thing we're in is epic. You know, like, oh, my life, my problems, 13.8 billion years, fuck. <laughs> you know, like the universe, 100 billion galaxies, 200 billion galaxies, not stars, galaxies. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it is, and if you want to see the difference between the awake and the deep awake, just look at us. We go back like this, like, and then we just want to look up at night and go, whoa. 
suddenly the context is just... That's what we need, that shift. So, 13.8 billion years ago, the universe comes into being. What can we say about where it's come from? Anything? I think so. This is also Brian's swim, actually. Surely we can say this. Whatever it is that the universe has arisen from is the potentiality for the universe. It was the potential for hydrogen. It was the potential for galaxies. It was the potential for life. It was the potential for sentience. It was the potential for this. Everything. Opera, rock and roll, dance music. So we can say this. The universe has arisen from a primal potentiality. And what has happened for 13.8 billion years is that potentiality has been continually realizing itself on ever more emergent levels. Now, the word emergent is a buzzword in science right now, and I borrowed it to call this spirituality emergent spirituality. And what it means is very simple. It means that in the evolutionary process, there's been a constant creative arising of new things. Completely new things have come into being. So, from hydrogen came the galaxies. There were no galaxies. Then there were all the chemicals, all the stars, all the physical universe. That's completely new. There was once no water. And then there was a time when hydrogen and oxygen came together for the very first time, and there was water. There was once no life, and then there was life. There was once no multicellular organisms, and then individual cells got together for the first time, and there was multicellular organisms. There was once no eyes, and then there was seeing. Everything, this whole process we're on, is intensely creative. And it's the, seeing the emergence of novelty, new things, but not random, deeper things. You can't go straight to this moment. You have to go via all the rest which has led to this moment. So the deeper potentialities are emerging last. Starts very simple. You can't have water until you've got both oxygen and hydrogen, for instance. You can't have multicellular organisms until you've got single cells, and so on. So we are in this process which is the realization of potentiality on ever more emergent levels. And I just want to explore that in a very, very uh, simple way with you right now. <clears throat> because I think it's been through three great stages. And the first stage of that is the creation of the physical universe. That took around 10 billion years. In which we went from simple forms, hydrogen, helium, to the galaxies, to the physical universe. And the physical universe is right here, right now, isn't it? Look, here it is. It's still there. There it is. You can go outside on the ground, look up in the sky. There it is. It's here. 
that's evolved. Here it is. We're experiencing it right now. And then about 13.8 billion years ago, we saw something new happen on this little planet. Maybe it's happened elsewhere too, but let's just focus where we know. Right here, something amazing happened. From that, a whole new phase of evolution took off, which we call life. You saw the beginnings of life. Simple cells, beginning with multi-cells. We saw biology come from physics. And then from biology, what marks it out is it's got a new relationship with the universe. The physical world, its relationship with the universe, you could call it electrochemical. Hydrogen or oxygen or whatever it is, is looking at the universe and it's relating to everything around it as a little thing via electrochemical, magnetic, physical criteria. With biology, you get this jump, which will become sentience, will become the senses. So that once you have animals, you start getting looking, eyes. Suddenly, you've got color. There was no color before. Now there's color. Ears. There was no sound before. Now there's sound. Taste. So the universe is now sensing itself, which it hasn't done before. And that's here right now, isn't it? Because that's this, that's the body. You are that, you are a biological animal and you are sensing the world. You are seeing it, you are tasting it, eating it, walking on it. That level of evolution is still here. Now, science tends to go that far. I think we need to go much further. Because what's happened since then is the most interesting. Well, science would agree with the first bit, I'm going to say for sure. The next stage of evolution was the evolution of the psyche. From that experience of sensation, comes the experience of images. So that I can not just see my watch, I can imagine my watch. I can not just see a color, I can imagine a color. At some point in this process, we saw the birth of the imagination. Now, we have lots of names for that domain. Imagination's one, psyche is one, Psyche is the Greek word that means soul. The old-fashioned name for it is soul. That's the soul. You know, people have all sorts of funny ideas about what the soul is. And you, can, of course, can use words any way you like. But the original meaning is it's describing this thing you're experiencing right now, which is not in this, is it? That experience you're having of ideas and images, the place where you're going, I get this, I don't get this, I like it, I don't like it, or whatever you're feeling, or thinking about something else altogether, or whatever is going on for you, 
That is happening in your psyche or your soul or your imagination or your mind. And although for us now they all have different qualities to them, those words, fundamentally they're all words for the same thing, just from different linguistic roots. And what they're describing is the obvious. You are experiencing a domain of reality which is not made of matter and does not exist in space. Am I right? So you're experiencing the body, the biological part, and that is made of matter, <clears throat> and that is in space, and it's sensing the world. And then that has given rise to a whole other domain of experience which is not made of matter and is not in the world. It's made of images. It's immaterial. That's the psyche or the soul. Here, apart from me, I have to throw my body about because it's the way I am. But the rest of you, your bodies are pretty much sitting there. Your ears are attuned to the sounds I'm making and the, looking at my body. But all of the action is in the words, in the meaning. But there is no meaning in the sounds I'm making. If you can see it biologically, what you're witnessing is a type of monkey covered in clothes making funny noises. That's what you're witnessing biologically. But actually, I'm passing meaning from my soul to your soul via the funny noises. Because we've developed, through soul, this incredibly sophisticated thing which allows me to make funny noises, each which carry symbolic meaning. So we can share this immaterial world together through the sounds I'm making. So now we can go, wow, we've gone from hydrogen, from matter, through life to soul. We've gone from something which is material to something which is immaterial. That's been the journey. That's a hell of a journey, isn't it? The universe has flowered as a non-physical domain. And that non-physical domain is what spirituality has always been concerned with. And it gets, it's been called many, many things throughout history. The ancient Egyptians, go back as far as them, called it the Dwat. The Tibetans called it the Bardos. Spirit domain, shamans will call it, or the dreaming, lovely name for it, for the Aboriginal uh, Australians. There's a hundred names for it. The astral plane in the esoteric Western tradition. But the fundamental idea is this. That experience you're having of the psyche of the soul, that is a whole domain which has which is, is, is it's a domain in itself. Like the biological domain, it's not just some arbitrary kind of byproduct of a piece of meat. It's much more than that. It is actually a domain of reality which you can go out and explore. And if you practice meditation or you take ayahuasca or you, you're just very creative, you, you can go off in there and it's huge. There's a whole universe in soul, just like there's a whole universe in matter. So a fundamental uh, thing I suggest in my new philosophy is that what we need to see is that everything has evolved. Literally everything. That's the simple idea. It's just that. Hey, everything which has form 
has evolved. The spiritual idea is, is a quite a traditional one, it's quite a negative idea. The idea of spirituality is that we have fallen. It's nearly all of the traditions, if you go into them deeply enough, you will find this. And it percolates into our way of thinking, and we don't even notice it. The idea is there is this great domain, it already existed, it's existed forever. And we really belong there. But through some cosmic fuck-up, we've fallen out of it. Into this shithole. And if we can purify ourselves of this, we can go back to the place we want to be. We can go back to God. God's fallen asleep, got confused, fallen into illusion. Fundamentally, there's a mistake, which is why the, everything's so unpleasant. It means well. It's trying to explain the suffering. How can there be this suffering and this great beauty at the same time? It's trying to explain that. But what it actually give, given us is something very negative. The evolutionary picture is very positive. It goes, look, it's coming from something primitive. But it's reaching towards something amazing. So all of the more primitive domains, they're still there. Yes, I'm experiencing soul, but I still have to deal with matter. And it's still cause and effect. And if I drop it, you know, things will fall. And I have to deal with body. And it's biological. Doesn't matter how awake I am. I still need to eat. I still need to go to the toilet. I still need to clean myself. I get ill. I've got a body. It's going to get old. It's going to die. Biology's still there. And there's this. And everything has evolved. So that this domain, the Duarte, the Bardos, the dreaming, the place of soul, the thing we're experiencing right now, the edges of, always, has evolved. Because everything is this process of the formless potentiality realizing itself as this ever-evolving flow of form. First very concrete form, then biological form, and then non-material form. And we're experiencing all of it right now. Okay, one more thought for now. So, where's it going? What's next? This amazing process. I think what's happening next, and it's been going on for ages, but just with very few people, but now it's starting to pick up speed. What's happening now is that we are becoming conscious of that primal potentiality. Because really, that's what we are. Because really, on a deep level, that's what everything is. Now, one of the traditional words used for that in philosophy is spirit, which means essence or being. It's being, but it has no form. And from it arises becoming. This is Plato, if you're interested. From formless being arise the becoming the evolutionary process. So this great oneness of spirit, potentiality, is realizing itself as the whole universe and then experiencing itself from all these different perspectives. And for most of us, most of the time, we just experience the perspective. So I'm the universe experiencing itself as Tim. It's like, oh, wow. 
That's what I see. And in the normal waking state, that's all I see. And that's pretty far out anyway. I'm experiencing it on all these levels. But what happens when I become conscious of my deep being? So we've gone through various levels, haven't we? We've gone, look, there's your body, the biological bit, the bit that lives and dies. It's made of matter. Here it is, sensing the world. Here, as it were, <laughs> is the psyche, the soul. It's not made of matter. It doesn't live and die. We'll get onto that later. There's nothing to die. It's on a different level altogether. You're experiencing it right now. You always will. That's body and soul. Well, in the tradition, we're in a church, so that's kind of sweet. In the Western tradition, there's a third element, body, soul, and spirit. What is spirit? Pneuma, as they called it in Greek. It's your being. And the way you can get that right now, as I speak, is be conscious that you are experiencing a flow of sensations which are changing all the time. That's body. And you're experiencing a flow of imagination, thoughts and immaterial things. That's soul. And now ask yourself, who's the experiencer of all of that? What is it that's experiencing all of this flow of experience? And that's your being. In the cloud of unknowing and medieval text, it calls it a naked sense of being. Something before your experience which is witnessing this. Something which never changes. And it never changes because it has nothing to change. It just is. What changes is your experience. That changes all the time. But what you are is the same now as when you were eight or 18, isn't it? Something's exactly the same. It's just sometimes called the witness because it's watching, but it's not just like a detached thing but it is witnessing it. There is a presence. So, I'm now gonna give you the deepest teaching in every single mystical tradition that I've written about. And I'm gonna give it to you in a minute. So, <laughs> here it comes. Are you ready? And I mean it, I'm not joking. <laughs> There's one of the deepest anyway. Your being, what you are, the thing which is witnessing this, has no form. That's the center of Hinduism, Buddhism, Gnostic Christianity, Sufism, Zen, you know. Your being has no form, and that sounds like the craziest thing, but it's not. What it's saying is, all experience, whether of the senses or of the mind, has form. 
It all has some form. Every experience has some quality to it, which you can identify it. But what you are, your being which is witnessing that, has no form. It doesn't have a color. That's what you look at. Or a shape, does it? It doesn't have, makes no noise. It's not a thought. What you are is this presence which is always present and it has no form. And it's not as weird as you think. It's just formless presence witnessing this flow of form. That's what this moment is. The experiencer and experience. Formless and form. Time and timeless. Coexisting. That's what this moment is. So that's what the mystical traditions have been teaching and I've been exploring through my life. And what I want to do with you here in this ambitious little presentation about philosophy is to say we can link this to this scientific story. Because what's happening is that we're discovering that the thing we are at our deepest level is that primal potentiality. Because that primal potentiality isn't just at the beginning, it's throughout, it's always there, it's here right now. And it's manifesting to us as the thing which is witnessing this, because I am the primal potentiality witnessing this flow of experience that is Tim. You are the primal potentiality witnessing the flow of experience which is you. Now through becoming so conscious, through evolving into something as conscious as a human being, as you and me, the universe can now not only be conscious of it, its experience, but it can be conscious that it is. And that's what marks out human beings the most. We are conscious that we exist. Comes with a penalty, because it's what scares us shitless about death. But we, we know that we are. Actually, everyone knows that they are. The deep awake arises when you don't take that I know that I am for granted, but actually pay it some attention. And then what opens up is this huge, deep... This emptiness, which is full of everything. So we can start to see that the, the evolutionary jump that is happening is beyond the psyche now. Matter, biology, psyche, and now into being, conscious being. And when that happens, we suddenly are freed up from this feeling of, I'm just Tim. And instead, it's like, oh, I'm everything. And I'm, I'm everything through Tim. Now my relationship with you is entirely different. No longer are we like, okay, I'm Tim, are you helpful to Tim or are you against Tim? Let me sort this out. Now it's like, well, either of that could still be true, but beyond all of that, there's one of us, as well as two of us. Not instead, but as well. There's two of us, and there's one of us. And the thing which I started off now comes into play, which is, and that feels like love. And it's a love so deep that the people who pioneered this, people who inspired this church, could believe and teach each other it's a love so big you could love your enemies. 
what a line that is. How big is that love? Not only you're like, oh, I like you, I love you, but I love your enemies. That is a huge, huge, unconditional love. Doesn't mean you like them. Doesn't mean you put up with anything from them. It just, but it means that you're one with them. So your deepest intention, your will is good. Whatever you need to do, you need to do, but your will is good. You want the best for everything and everyone. And it's that will to reach towards the good, which is the evolutionary jump we need to make. So the more that we can take out and share, it seems to me, a story which wakes us up from, no, 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 which is all fine, actually, but gives it this deeper context and go, yeah, okay, Tim, oh, I'm a bit fed up about that. And, fuck it all. This cosmic event is happening and I'm part of it and you are part of it and I get the chance to wake up to this and when I do, everything wakes up. My body wakes up, my soul is clear, I, I, I've, I'm part of some great mission and we're all in it together. And on a very deep level, we're, we're all equal and all the same. And we're connected through this deep love. So that's the bare bones of the story, the philosophy which I want to um, share with you. Then what we're going to do next is do something practical with that. Now, I'm going to make space for some questions, and I'll be around anyway, so you can come up and grab me. Uh, and, and so if you're sitting there thinking, oh, what about that, what about that, we will, I will try and I'll do my best to address as much as we can. There's obviously endless. But I want to just say a few words about the other side, and then we're going to break. The other side, there's the philosophy, and then the other side is these deep awake practices. So what we're going to do after the break is we're going to do two practices, back to back. And the, my approach to things, I'm, some of you will know, is what I call paralogical, which simply means that I, it, that I see life as paradoxical, and I want, we have to understand it in a both-and rather than an either-or sort of way. That's a simple way of getting it. It's a simple way in. Think of the yin-yang. It's both, not either. So, we need philosophy and practices. Kind of obvious. We are separate and we're not separate. Both. Not one or the other. There's an awful lot of spirituality will tell you, you think you're separate, get rid of that because really it's all one and then this will go, Tim will disappear, hurrah, you'll be just... Having gone down that path for quite some time, and having had Tim stubbornly not go anywhere, not only have I given up, I don't even think it's realistic or sensible or even good. I've, I've come to love Tim or put up with him more, at least. No. To be with him, to let him be in his amb ambiguity, to love him in his ambiguity. That's the accurate way of saying it. So this waking up, this practices we're going to do, is not about leaving the separateness behind, not getting rid of the ego. In my view, the ego is the hero, not the villain. The ego is the, the separate self through which you wake up. Is it imperfect? You bet. Why? It's evolving. Evolving means you constantly see things you need to move beyond. It's a constant process of, I want to say humility, but I think humiliation might be better. <laughs> And that, you know, it's like, oh, Jesus, I'm just on my 59th birthday and it feels like it's just, it's getting more. 
of just going, oh, right, oh, yeah, okay. But every time now I see something about Tim that can move on, I grow, and that's great. And as I grow, I become more conscious. As I become more conscious, I can wake up further to this oneness and this love. So the ego is the hero for me. I love the fact that you're individual. I don't want us to be all one, some bland oneness. Look, look how beautiful we all are. All so different and unique and different shapes and ages and sizes, different hang-ups, <laughs> different talents, different. We're different. It's great. And then through that, we can wake up to this oneness together. That's the essential thing that marks out this form of spirituality. And then when we wake up to that oneness together, rather than going, oh, great, we're out of here. I'm never going to have to come back here again. Rather than that, we can bring that love into this. Because for me, the love doesn't disappear off, it connects you in. That's the point. It's, these are some paralogical statements I make. It's not just know yourself, it's also show yourself. It's not just loving being, it's being loving. It's both. So the practices are about both. So we're going to do we're going to do one practice which is fundamental, it's a simple form of deep awake meditation. I'll talk you through it when we um, gather again. Which is something you can do on your own. Do not, I, I, I appeal to you not to mistake the simplicity of what I'm going to do with you. Because what we're going to do is incredibly simple. In my experience, the simpler you can get it, the more profound it actually is. These are all things that you can do anytime, anywhere. And that's why they're so powerful. So try and get the essence of what they are and then try them out in your life, see if they're useful. So this is a form of practice you can do on your own, which is about just waking up to your body, to the world, and waking up to deep being. Deep sensing and deep being, simple as that. And we're going to do that, and then we're going to do the rest of the day, we'll be doing things we do together. The foundation will be the thing we do on our own, but it'll be about things we can do together, because we're one. So if we can, if we can reach this in each other, it's much easier. What I'm doing, which I've done now literally all over the world, with all these different cultures, when I realized we could do it together, so instead of getting a group of people going, you know, close your eyes, go into yourself, disappear off, now come back. Instead of seeing see deep being in yourself, go see deep being in each other. What happens when you fall back into the, your being and you, you, you touch the experiencer, but what happens when I look at you and I go, oh my God, I'm connecting with deep being looking back at me. Here's a unique human being, but what I'm connecting with, I can't see it. It has no form. It's just there looking back at me. What happens if I see that in you, or you see it in me, or you hear it? That you're connecting all the time. Right now, this whole hour I've been talking, you've been connecting with something that has no form, through the form. Something formless connecting with something formless through form. That's what it's going on all the time. Can you get that? It's happening all the time and we don't notice it. What happens if we paid attention? So that these practices are really for formal ways of paying attention to the obvious in a way that can take you from that to that. So that's what we're going to do. Right.
Hold the hands of the people next door to you. We're not going to close the circle this time, but it's an imaginary one. half an hour so we're going to gather again at just before 12 but actually you have a little practice in this break which I'd like you to engage with which is I'd like to invite you to make sure that in this break you speak to at least three people who you don't know you share with each other why you've made the effort to come to this strange event with this bald-headed man called Freak. What brought you here? And if you're really up for it, I'd like you to share the deepest reason that's brought you here. And I'd like you to do it conscious of all the things which we've been saying, or the essence of what I've been saying. So that when we're connecting, you really connect with the depths of the person you're talking to or the person you're listening to. And then when you've done, let's give each other permission to go, I'm gonna, we're done now, I'm going to move on, so you don't feel like you can only be with one person, and then move on and connect with three or more people in that half an hour. Also, because we really want to give as much as we can give, uh, I'm doing, I'm going to talk about this later, but I'm, one of the things I'm up to is this incredible retreat in France called The Deep Weight Life with uh, the amazing Richie Watson, whose wife Donna is here on the end there, and she's going to be on the stall over there. And Richie and Donna have bought, as a gift for all of us, a naked bar, which are really nice. So we can have a break, you can have a cuppa, and you can have a naked bar. <laughs> Which you can keep your clothes on. In the advanced course, we take our clothes off. But <laughs> So let's break for half an hour, and people will bring you around your naked bar and have a chat, and we'll gather, and we'll go into the practices.